This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Okay. Um, first of all, we want to welcome Jonathan Sperling. Um, that's uh, he, he's the from the alumni from last trip, so uh, we, we uh, special welcome him. Um, I want to speak about the Chassam Sofa, and maybe you know, speaking before might have been different, but I think it's it's important to give it the time it needs, because the Chassam Sofa is one of those seminal figures in Jewish history and in recent Jewish history that is so significant. Um, it's significant because he was a person who crystallized a Hungarian Jewry. Hungarian Jewry was Chassam Sofa. That was something that, that, that has become that way. He dealt with many of the issues that are still around today. And he was such an extraordinarily broad person, someone that encompassed so much that in almost every area of Torah, there's something of him. So his life is really, really a significant um, life for history. First of all, where did I get the material from? I, th- I always like when I speak about uh, biographies of Gedolim, when a person writes a book with stories and no source for the stories, you either have to believe at Ruach HaKodesh or a very good imagination of some sort. There, you know, it's, there's no way, especially when you write very ancient history. The Chassam Sofa has a, an overabundance of biographical material. The most famous one and the, and the benchmark is a grandson of his who wrote a Chuta Meshulash which is about the Chassam Sofer, the Kiveger, and the Ksav Sofer. We'll explain why in a second. And that became the marker. If something is not there or it's there differently, you ask yourself why. There were one or two small works beforehand, and there were many works afterwards, um, sort of bringing more material and so on. Deger Soferim quotes everything where he heard it from. He was a grandson. He knew all the people and so on. What's interesting is, because he was such a broad person and wrote so much and said so much and dealt in so many different situations, most people tend to take what they like from him. And a person can write a whole book about Chassam Sofa was the first real Zionist. And someone can write a book that Chassam Sofa was the first real anti-Zionist. And the only way to understand it is that these are two halves of one book. Um, and the, he, the, you, you can make the Chassam Sofa anything you want because he was such a big person. And people do it. You get a feel. The same, the same material will be reworked in different people. Some sofa, some sofa wrote an immense amount, and and wrote on many different issues, and was much more nuanced than 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 a simple one one approach. He was born in 1763, and was nifted in 1840, which means, like we spoke last times, that the 1700s was the era when things were beginning to change on the um, on the level of, of, of shitos, of deos, of, of ideologies. The 1800s were when things were beginning to become actualized, reform, neologians, etc. He was not there by the split in, 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 eight, in 69, 1872, but he, but, but he put down a lot of approaches to it that became, that became um, constant. So he was born in, in Frankfurt, in 1763, he learned by now his name is Sofer because his father was a Sofer. So yes, that that's the, that's the easy one. He learned by two incredible people who left a mark on him in a fascinating way. One Rebbe that he had was Reb Pinchas Horowitz Balafla. He was a big Torah scholar who also happened to be from the Hasidic Talmidim of that first generation. He didn't make his Hasidus open. Frankfurt is a very hard city to practice Hasidus openly. And he was Hasidic, but he primarily was a big time Chochem and a Rav. And, and he wrote Sfarim. For those of you who've learned in, in yeshivas, Sfarim and Hafla and Makna are very, very prominent Sfarim. So that's the Baal Hafla. He had a second Rebbe who was extraordinary. His name was Reb Nossen Adler. Nobody knew where Reb Nossen Adler comes from in the sense that um, where did he get his drachen from? He was an incredible genius, an incredible mekubal, 
he did things very differently. Um, he would duchen every day, he would davar dushari, he did things incredibly different than anybody. The city of Frankfurt, yeah, good yakis as they are, was very annoyed with him, but he was like a malach. So they reached a certain understanding that he must have his own minion of no more than 10 people, and whatever he does for himself is untouchable. Other people, you know, not public. He, so Reb Nassim Adler was not a public person. He, his, his, he, the, the things that he did were al Kabola. The Chsam Sofa, when he would talk of his Rebbe, would turn white and say he was a living Malach. It, 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 the Chsam Sofa's awe for his Rebbe was incredible. And yet the Chsam Sofa, on a practical level, was very against any type of activities that were on the type of things his Rebbe did, he would not allow in any communal fashion. So, on the one hand, his own Rebbe was somebody that was very different, somebody whose, whose personal hanhagis were completely unusual, and, and on the other hand, he davened with a Sephardi, Nusach, uh, 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 he was very different. And yet, and, and he held him, he said this, he was, anything that he saw by Nasadler must be allowed correct, impossible that he did something that, that was not correct. That, that was his type of regard. On the other hand, the idea of not allowing a community to, to, to stray from the straight normal was very strong in some stuff, as we'll see. And those were the two people who were his rebbeim. He became, uh, he was a rabbi in one or two other places, uh, in, in, in Nicholsburg, and he was finally, a, he became a rabbi in Pressburg in the early 1800s, and was there 32 years a rabbi until he passed away in, in 1840. He was married three times. His first wife passed away quite young. I don't think he had any children from her. His second wife was the daughter of one of the other great Gedolm of generation, Rikivager. Um, anyone who's learned, Rikivager is a name that is the shining brilliance of, of the last few generations. And he married a daughter of Rikivager. Her name was Sarah, and he had his children from her. She passed away, I think, about 10 years or so before, before he was Nifter, and he remarried another time. But the, the, the yichas of the family, the, the Samsofa family, is that they come from Samsofa and Rikivega. The regard for each other, Rikivega called him the king of Jewry, of, of Kali Yisrael, Nisi Yisrael, he called him. The Samsofa held himself when they came. There's a story, anecdote, which it certainly is true in, in, in its ruach, I don't know if it, when they came and they and they spoke the and when they said um, the, the Shatchan came to some sofa and said uh, I have uh, Rekvega is a daughter for you, he said you're not allowed to marry your daughter how, how could I marry Rekvega's daughter? Rekvega said uh, uh, you know I'm not worthy of, 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 of a son-in-law like some, like the, like the some sofa. And the Shatan said, then it's a perfect match. You know, and, and they, they came, uh, it was incredible. The, um, and that was his family. He, um, he was the Rav of Pressburg. He founded a yeshiva that became the prototype for Hungarian yeshivas, it was the biggest yeshiva, I think in its heyday, at number three, four hundred Bachrim. He set a shear for them every day. He would start off learning with Chovos Lvovos, 15 minutes every day, highly unusual. He learned all of Chovos Lvovos, even the introduction of the translator. He held the Chovos Lvovos as being the most important Musa Sefer, and he would learn it until he finished it and go round and round. And he would say a regular shear, and he would say like a special pilpul shear, he was the rav of the town, and he would paskin. He spoke very well, so he would say drushes. He answered shilas from all over the world. And the, the material we have from him, written material, is all-encompassing. There's chidushim on, on most of Shas, that's out. Maybe he had an Olash, I don't know, but, but what they put out. He has chuvas that have become landmark chuvas. It's a reference point, some sofer in a chuva. And so and so in a tshuva, that's become landmark. His drushes are printed, letters of his, and many of his talmidim, who are the gdole Hungary, um, wrote 
works saying what they saw about Islam so far, how he acted in certain circumstances, halachas and things like that. There wasn't an area he was a big mekubal, and he did not allow most people to learn Kabbalah. He himself knew it all. He himself was what? Um, he himself was um, somebody who um, knew. He knew much, um, much um, worldly science. He himself had for his Talmidim when they studied certain parts of Shacharuch that required knowing about the body. He would. Ha- he had. Uh, he had human figures, and he was able to dissect. You know, they, they wouldn't, but he was able to show exactly the halachas and what and where. He 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 had an incredible grasp on almost every area of Torah knowledge. Um, and so, so in terms of of a shleimistic person, you just about don't have any figure of that nature. The Chazonish said that the last gadol that it was possible to learn everything from him was the Chassam Sofa because there wasn't one area that he was more shalom than everything. He really was a complete figure. He was a very humble person, and an Oev shalom and Dore shalom, but could stand very strongly on what was right when he felt there was a need to. There was, um, he, he, he stood strong, and, and we'll see in a moment. Um, he was also a diplomatic person. So on the one hand, when you needed to stand on principle, he stood on principle. But on the other hand, he was very stark. Um, he, he was he tried to reach out to people and and to try to solve things quietly. We'll see in a minute something inside fascinating. Um, he he was able to he was able to. Um, he, he, he created such a covet for his Rabbanis that no one dared argue with him. Even the people that he opposed, they would always refer to him as a good person, as a person who means well. You know, they, 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 at the worst they could say is somebody misled him. People, people acknowledged, even the people that he fought bitterly against, many of the reform leaders said that as a person he was he was a very warm person, a good person, a kind person. It was a very fascinating, um, very fascinating relationship. Um, he, he, I think, of all the areas of Yiddish life that he felt very strong about, Rabbanis was the strongest. Whereas in Lithuania, the yeshivas and the Talmidic HaChomel learning in yeshivas, that became, the yeshivas became the center of Yiddishkeit, and a rav in a town was more of a, a fulfilling a task. In, in the Hasidus, there was, a, um, there was an emphasis on the Rebbe, and the Rebbe didn't have to be linked to any town. He felt community and a rav the rub in the community is extremely, he's the most significant person. He led his Rabbanus with a tremendous amount of dignity, strength, and his Talmidim were like that. His own personality was a fascinating combination. He was, I'm sorry? They offered a job, and it was a big city. I mean, that's the you know that's how people people. He was first a rav in a small place, dropped it or something. Then he moved up. That, that's how things used to work. And in Pressburg, he stayed. Um, he was offered uh, different abundance. He stayed in Pressburg. Pressburg became his his town. Um, he he um, felt he was he had a German flavor to himself because he grew up in Frankfurt. So a. He spoke a German Yiddish. The old Samsofa people, you know, when they imitate him, they they, they, they speak a, a very Yekish Yiddish. He was clean, neat, organized, timely, and everything ran, you know, with Seder. He once saw his wife opening a letter that came to him and you know, reading it or glancing at something that he was very upset. He said People send me the letters, not to you. I ask that this not be done. He, he, he was very, everything was done extremely, Masuda, proper, integrity. Those were things 
and and it it lent itself your typical Oberlander, who were the, who were the Hungarians that that took over his shita. And like we spoke two days ago, Hungary had three parts to it. The Chassidim respected him, but never took to him. Um, they took to him, but not not under Kashka. But but this is Slovakia plus that part of Hungary that 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 that's around it. He became the model. And the typical Oberlander, I don't know if you noticed the person davening for the Ahmed, he's been corrupted a bit, but the typical Oberlander was shorter jacket, a, 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 a more, you know, like a, a modern hat, a tie, not in his generation, but later generations wearing a tie, speaking a sort of proper language, not slurring words, sort of giving it, and, and, and being sort of part of the world in terms of structure, society, and so on, was very important. He took sorry. over. Sorry. Yeah. No, the aura, the personality that he that he projected, that became the model for students was neat, structured. You had to be. You didn't. You weren't part of society, but they needed to respect you. They needed to see a dignified person. Who's, who speaks well, organized, proper, and so on. Those were things that were extremely important to him. Everything. I'm sorry. Volozhin and 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 his yeshiva in Pressburg, in those days, were as far as Los Angeles is to Yerushalayim. You know, we're traveling with a bus. And if we and if we'd have the patience, we would end up in, in somewhere in in we could end up in Lithuania this afternoon. In those days, those worlds were so far apart they hadn't heard of each other. It, 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 you have to understand that's that's we're traveling on a bus now, sitting back. I, I mean, if, if this was if this was the good old days, this would take a week to travel. You know, it, 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 depending on horse or buggy or train or whatever it is, it, it's a, they, they they didn't see each other, they didn't know each other, and that's why people, by the way. The point that Howard is making, you had charlatans travel from community to community, and they were able to get away with it. There was no WhatsApp, there was no posting anything online. There was a person could could what? <laughs> and 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 you could you know so people didn't know of each other. So and it was a very different yeshiva. And I, I spoke with Lesia Velazhin. What Velazhin changed was. A yeshiva became an entity to itself. If I can give a bad marshal, uh, lahavdul, a community college is there to teach the kids of the area something, a, a better profession for themselves. A great academic center is there to promote the understanding of, of X, Y, or Z. Volazhin was a yeshiva where Gedole Torah would learn. It wasn't attached to Velazhin. Velazhin happened to be a community. The yeshiva happened to be rough. It had nothing to do. Velazhin was a whisper community. This was a major yeshiva. It, it, it was really divorce rep. Samsofa was Pressburg. This is our yeshiva. This is where we're raising kids and, and, and young young rabbanim. And the rabbanim went out. They became leaders community. They touched base with Samsofa. And he, all of Hungary was under him. There was nothing doing there that didn't meet with his approval, unless it met with his disapproval. You know, in other words, the, the, it was by by teaching and 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 bringing his Talmudim out. The, the the reform began to raise its head, and between the two extremes, how do you deal with reform? So one approach was to embrace it. You know, people said, okay, either yay. Or we got to change with the times because you know things are, are that's how things are going to work. Versus, we need to prohibit everything, stop everything, come out with strong setlach, you know, aserit and all that. Those were two extremes. Neither of them worked terribly well, and each one had a lot of issues. The Chassam Sofa said, and as soon as the Chassam Sofa got the sense that the small changes people are making are there to get people slowly moving to make major changes. And the real point was not where the beamer should be, but to slowly begin to roll the ball downhill. 
that's when he put a stop to it. And basically he came up with a very famous saying, Chodesh Asmana Torah, it's a play on words. It means, literally, Chodesh is the new crop you're not allowed to eat before the second day of Pesach. He, he, he said that Chodesh, meaning anything new, cannot be introduced in Torah. It really was a play on the words. But his point was, changes, it's like when you have a, it's, it's like when you have a garment and you have a hem. You take, you open up one small thread on the hem, it's just a question of time till it all unravels. And his sense was, it starts with small changes and it's going to end unraveling. He was proven right in Prague. Prague was an easygoing city, we'll speak about it when we get to Prague. And Prague had zero left, nothing from left uh, within a generation. And they didn't have less Gdolim than some Sofia, no Behuda earlier than him. But, but the attitude there was, okay, what's the problem? We'll change this, change this, change this, and so on and so forth. They didn't, there was a lack of understanding that once you get people the idea that you can change things, people don't understand that where the beam is is not so important and something else is a halacha. They don't get it and, and it introduces a trend. So that was one end of it. On the other end of it is, he tried to reach out peacefully to people. There was this fellow Chorin who was an upcoming reform rabbi. He wrote a sefer. The Chsam Sofa begged him, do me a favor, retract. If you retract the sefer that you wrote, I will, I'll, 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 I'll soft pedal it, you'll be okay. You know, let's reach, let's reach some sort of understanding so that you don't destroy and I won't destroy you. Um, Chorin retracted and then once again w- went out and that's when they publicly refuted him. I want to read a letter that he wrote to some sofa. I'm going to read p- bits and pieces of it, which I think is remarkable in having the astute sense of how to deal publicly with these issues. He says, I got a letter from yesterday that you want me to write a book against Chorin's book. Chorin's book had written, had written No God Sedek. He said, I didn't bother replying because I know that, uh, first of all, he said, I'm not worthy, which is uh, sort of a modesty. He says, I don't think that that's a smart idea, because once you start publishing, they'll publish back again, and it'll, it'll become a war of publishing works, and the people sitting in the bars and cafes will be the ones to decide which book is a better book. It's not, it's not a winning situation. He says, and also, hopefully, maybe the problem will resolve itself and it won't become permanent. Why should we make this a permanent part of, of, of our consciousness? He said, and another thing he says, Machlokas tends to draw in people like to fight. And that creates a lot of problems. And he says, you know why Lieberman wrote this book, No Gatzedek? He said, because someone had come out against him and he needed to defend himself and that's why he went on the offensive. If they wouldn't have bothered to, to, to come out against him, it, w- it would have quieted down. And Ikhsam Sofa, many times, he tried to resolve the problems quietly because he said, every time something becomes a battle, A, you never win. And, and also, uh, on the other hand, um, you create situations where you create a backlash and people come out against you. What? Yeah, like litigation, but but it takes a lot of, but but, it, but on the other hand, so his communities, those communities that went with Chum Sofa, which became more and more communities, he insisted on standards that were inviolable, halachic standards were inviolable, and you know that was Chagdava, but his relationship with people who were soft peddling it, who who were maybe making changes, he did not come out attacking it. He basically pulled in the wagons and said, we will build a strong orthodoxy. What other people do, let them do. We need to build what's right. So he was very strict about what he allowed in his communities, but was understanding in how to deal with people outside his communities. Was there a, a clear line between reform and orthodox? Was the word orthodox so, used? The, I, don't know if the, I don't know if the word orthodox was in his time already, because I don't think it had been so clearly... It, the real split came 20 years later after his death. Uh, 20, 30 years later. But, but it, it started with small things. It was like a creeping annexation. So you stop that. One other fascinating 
um, one a very insightful way of dealing with things. Um, he was a big halachist, and if a din is a din, that's how it's supposed to be. He was annoyed with the Hasidim that they cut corners on certain halachas. He did not think that davening Nusach Sfarad was appropriate. Changing your Nusach, so you changing it to have more words in the Siddur, and this guy is going to change it to have less words in the Siddur. You're introducing a bad thing. Two, we spoke yesterday when 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 Rev Teitelbaum came out with a tshuva, or not tshuva, he told people in his community that if you dab Nusach Sfarad, it's, it's so holy that you can't wear the woolen clothing. He said, with all due respect, that's rubbish. Don't don't take things that are chumris or whatever it is and make it halacha, anything like that. Very against that. He was very against mixing Kabbalah and halacha. Kabbalah is Kabbalah. Halacha. Don't give halachic reasons based on Kabbalah. Very strong against it. But he had to choose between who his allies are and, and who is the one that the enemies are. He had on the one hand the reforming um, part of the population who were holding out on this Ashkenaz and weren't making, weren't going there, but they were making forms versus the Hasidim who were, who were making the type of changes that Hasidus demanded. The people in Prague favored, they, they, they were strong against the Hasidim and and okay with the the, the, the more liberal wing. He said, um, I'm, an, I'm annoyed with what the Hasidim are doing, but their their heart is with us, so so their people, we, we, I'm going to write what I think, but I'm going to tone it down, I'm not going to fight with them. The other people are headed for trouble, and we need to make a sharp line with them. So That's what, yeah. Very much. And the results are clear. Um, Hungarian jury stayed firm and strong. Czech jury is gone. Um, nothing left of it. I, I, you know, and, and Matzevis, wonderful, wonderful Bezakvaris. Nothing else. And and it was it was a it, it, it was a, a das of of, of, a, of, a, of a big person to realize when are you on board in principle, and and when is it that you are. It was based on his perception of what halacha was. It was based on his perception of people. It was based on, on sizing up the movement and asking themselves, where are these people going to and where are these people going? What's their real agenda? What's their real agenda? And and that's, and that's it, it, history proved him extremely right. His attitude about Limude Chol is fascinating. He was a person who gave Haskamas on science books. On, on a book written on geometry, on a book written on math, on other things. He gave Haskama. If the person was an Erlicha person, there were many people in Prague, in Pressburg, I'm sorry, who studied Yeshiva and they will write. They'll write that I studied Yeshiva by some sofa and I also complimented myself with other studies. As long as the person was an autodidact, he didn't go to university. As long as he felt his ruach was straight, and this was really just another body of knowledge that he's that he's absorbing, Samsofa was was quite pro it. The Samsofa, there was a question at town: what rabbi to take? They all gave him two choices. He said, "I have a third choice, who is a Talmud Chacham like these people, but he's sophisticated and he speaks the language. And since this is a community where it's important, I would like to have him there." So he appreciated that. On the other hand. He was dead set against any Jewish teachers teaching in a school because, first of all, he didn't feel it should be part of a, a, a cheder curriculum. And more than that, all the people that were teaching had a lot of hidden venom, or not so hidden venom. So, so you're bringing in some teach history to the kids, and he's going to be preaching about how terrible Yiddishkeit is, and, and, about, and he's going to undermine it. So, even when the government, when the government enacted at different times that you have to have limud echol, he preferred a guy teaching over a Jew teaching. He preferred them even going to a public school and coming to learn or, or vice versa over integrating it. He said, we're looking for trouble if we integrate it. A guy, the child knows, we're Jews, they're goyim, there's enough of, a, of an emotional barrier that's not going to be much of, of an influence. 
But with the Jewish teachers, yeah. So that would mean writing my book on some sofa. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm serious. You know, everybody, everybody takes the some sofa as proof for what he's he, what he said, and everyone quotes him selectively. And because I, I, I want to tell you, somebody told me about a certain Adam Gadol who passed away um, recently, and he said his greatest shvach about him is you could never predict in advance how he would respond to a question. Which means there wasn't an autopilot of, of a shita. He was weighing practical situations. Some sofa had that leadership ability to size up situations and to be able. He answered, he writes that in all his years of Rabbanis, only twice did he go back on a halachic tshuva because many gedolim were against it. And he regrets it because after rethinking it again, he feels he's right. He said, thank God, I never was nichshal in that. However, his greatness, twice, he came out publicly admitting a mistake that he made in public sphere. One of them was, fascinating, there was a fellow named Dr. Penner. Penner, Penner, what? Who, who, um who wanted to make a German translation of the Talmud. The Chsam Sofa greatly encouraged it. And then people came to him with a lot of, they present a lot of issues why they felt it's a bad idea. And you know, and, and he came to recognize that it's a bad idea. He wrote a public notice, forgive me, forgive me. I made a mistake in my Shikladas. I think I was wrong. I was shown to be wrong. I thought of many good reasons to translate German. I've been shown wrong, and 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 I was wrong. I asked of Dr. Penner, who's a very Arabic person, that he should also not translate it because I think they're right. And he desisted, Rabbi Penner, Dr. Penner, he called him, um, amazing, godless of a person, who who really was the king of you know. I mean, and and on, on the on the public issues, there's twice there was another safer that he was for. And he and and he he also wrote he would always approach a person peacefully. Um, there was a person that um, he was told that there's a rov in a certain town who never got smicha, never learned much. Like we spoke on the first day, a lot of the Hungarian Jews were ignorant. When they found a rov that was got personality and let it be known that he has a very flexible shacharuch, they would take him as a rov. And they told him that this guy, he writes him a letter and he says, my dear Rav so-and-so, I've heard it from people that, that you know about that you don't have formal smicha. If it's not true, please let me know and I will apologize profusely. If it is true, listen, it happens sometimes, maybe in a rush, what I suggest, I've done it before, he says, freeze it, I will send somebody to learn with you halacha, I will test you, and when you know I'll get the smicha, and then you could assume the Rabbanah is sufficient, so on and so forth. I'll work with you, I'll help you, I don't want to harm and so on and so forth. That was the tone of voice that he used. He, he, he would always approach a person's with a kabdeu, and and then, you know, if he felt, but once he felt, like with Chorin, he, he struggled, because Chorin looked like a from person. He, he, he sounded from, he didn't like the tone of the person, didn't like the tone of what he wrote. But he was willing to extend himself and say, you know, everybody makes a mistake. Why don't you just tell people you made a mistake and safer? And again, we'll try to work with it. And and it was only after he was double-crossed the second time that he said, okay, no, and and, and that's out. So the Chassam Sofer's legacy, it, it, I, I spoke to a Rav, Rav Kushalevsky. Many of you people might have might have heard of Rav Kushalevsky in, in, um, in Huazi Yeshiva, in, in Eretz Yisrael, a tremendous Hamid Chacham. His father, Olav Shalom, learned with my father together in Slavodki Yeshiva. His father was a huge Hamid Chacham. He became Rav in Be'er Sheva um, you know, at some point. And when he retired, he lived, it was a neighbor of mine, he lived together, and, and he, he was, he, told, he said, the years before the war, he decided to, to tour Europe. He was learning Slavodki Yeshiva, but he was a very curious person, a very broad person, and he went on a tour of different shtetlach in Europe, in different different societies. He was one of a few people. Tzvi's father. What? Reb Tzvi's father, Rebelik Kreshlavsky. 
um, he didn't have Ellie with him to plan the tours, so it took okay. much longer than three days. And he went around. He said, I'm telling you, had Hitler not come, there would be no Yiddishkeit left in Europe except for Hungary. And he had no, he himself was a Litvish Yeshiva Bacha. He said it was downhill. Every, I know it was from my father. My father didn't know about Hungary. My father was Lithuania. My mother's in Poland. Chzidisha home, the father, my, my mother's father wore a spadik. Her brothers were diehard communists. Until they came to America, became capitalists. But but the, but in, in but there was no, it, it, it was disintegrating. And in Hungary, he said, it may be for many reasons. The communities were strong. And the, the, the standard of living was better. The, the, the grinding poverty you had in Poland, Lithuania didn't exist. It, it's, it's, a, it's a more, it's a warmer country. It's easier. The anti-Semitism was more soft-pedaled. There was a certain, they didn't have that built-up bitterness that you had in the other places, but the communal structures were very firm. You had your kahila, everything revolved around it, and it preserved. It, it preserved, it persevered. They opened, the Samsofis Talmud became Rabbanim in other communities. His, he had a son who became the Rav in Pressburg, but the Maram Shik, who became Rav in Chust, was seen as being his... His, and, and if you look at the, at the Maram Sheikh's his, his farm, he had a lot of the same things. He he told Rab, Rabbanu would come to him with, you'd see, they write to him that this and this Rebbe opened up shop in town, it's a chutzpah, he's like, and he would write, you're right, but don't make an issue of it, because it will only create problems. It, it reach some sort of concordance, reach some sort of agreement, and live and let live, because that will preserve everything. So, so Hungarian Jewry, really was the one model that survived. What is fascinating is, it didn't survive the war. There is nothing like it today. Um, there is no, no, nothing of that structure today at all. The people in his community, those who were saved and came to America or, or to Israel, were absorbed into the Hasidic communities and became Hasidim. So when we speak generically of a chassid, it's really the people who call themselves in Barapak Hamish people are those type, are, they're that, that type, that genre. I asked recently, there's a Rav in Barapak, Tenkerov, a Friedman, who was born in Hungary and, and grew up his young years, he was born before the war, grew up in, in Hungary, and I asked him about it. And he said it comes because of the Erlachkeit. He said they came to America, there was no structure they didn't want to become more modern. The only ones who retained the old flavor were the Hasidim. So, so by default, they became absorbed into Hasidic communities and, and they disappeared. There is nothing like it. It could be because you need a community like it. It, it doesn't exist. A yeshiva, Lakewood yeshiva can exist no place. Lakewood was a no place and you had a strong Rosh yeshiva, attracted bright Talmidim and that. Hasidic Rebbes don't need geographical zones. So Satmarov came to America, very charismatic person, drew a lot of people. Ger came to Israel, they drew a lot of people. Um, it's something that was extremely, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's unfortunate because it represented a fascinating facet. I want to add a story to that that will plug the Mir Yeshiva also a little bit. So Yaakov is here, he'll get a plug for the Mir Yeshiva. When my father, my father, Rabbeinish Finkel, was the Mir Rosh Hashiva. At a shiva, so we spent, you know, we were all there, and many people came, and I'm sitting next to a very chashiva looking Rav, you know, a real rabbinic figure. I don't know who he is. I whispered to my brother, who's this? Don't know, don't know, don't know. Listen, you know, so sometimes you, you chuck politeness aside, and I said, Kvoda Rav, who do I have the pleasure of speaking with? I told him his name is Sofer. He said, how did you know my father-in-law? He said, I didn't. So I said, so what brings you here? So he said, it goes back one generation. His father was the Samsofa's direct descendant who was Rav of Pressburg. He was saved during the war and came to Israel. Penniless, yeshivaless, communalist. A knock on his door. And my wife's grandfather, my Shver's father, Rebbe Yudel, is there. And he introduced himself. And he says, so yes, and what can I do for you for Mira Shiva? 
says, I'd like to open up a yeshiva together with you. So he was taken aback, and he said, I'm very honored, but but th- th- it has nothing, we have nothing in common in terms of the learning, the style, and, and nothing. He says, no, I'll tell you how I envisioned the partnership. I'll, I'll tell you how, I, you have, uh, yeah, the, I tell you how I envision a partnership. I will support you totally for three years, and you run the educational department totally for three years, and then you're on your own. So he said, so what's in it for you? Like, like wh- why? He said, every different facet of Torah needs to be perpetuated. And I looked around, and there's nothing to perpetuate Hungarian Torah. It can't be that Hungarian Torah disappear. And I see from the people I know, you must be the most suited for it. I want to have that schus of, of, of putting down the foundation for Hungarian Torah. And he did it. He supported it. He had a call for a few years. His yeshiva never took off, and, and it, it did not succeed. But in terms of the, the understanding that this was an incredible facet of Kali Yisrael, it is, is really remarkable. And, uh, and uh, it, it's something that, you know, you think the, the ability to reach that balance, community, yeshiva, modernity, preservation, um, respectable um, interaction with the world, and yet being able to be your own person, that really was incredible. The last person that I think embodied that was Rev Weissmantel, all the stories about the saving people of the war, I don't want to talk about him because he's a, he's a top of his own. He was a person who grew up Nitra in these places, which was sort of all coming from that same place. In Europe, he wore a tie, short, he was he was a, a, a genius, an incredible genius, um, very stark, were in new languages, was fluent in many of the European languages. In America, he lived only a short time, he tried to reestablish a community, Again, never got off the ground and sort of became absorbed as Satma by default. He was personally very close to Satmarov, respected him greatly, and they, they were very close. But, but it is it is a it is a part of Klai Yisrael that we, we sit back and wonder about it. And the Chsam Sofer is respected by everybody. Nobody feels uncomfortable quoting Chsam Sofer to support his side. So so, so, you, so you get this incredible array of of schools and and and, and shitas that quote Chsam Sofer. Yes. He's asking about Slabotka. Moshe is asking about was a Slabotka. So Slabotka was to a fault. In other words, a Slabotka person, and, and again, this was the Alta Slabotka, my wife's great grandfather, the Revolution's father was the Alta Slabotka. Um, he, he, he had the boys wearing, he did it because the boys needed it to be spitzy, to be top, to be the latest style type of personality. That was not the case here, but when you met when you met an Oberlander, when you met the people of that genre, an outsider met him, he would say it is a different, you know, it's a different religion, it's a different group of people, but very respectable. It's like groomed, clean, dignified. Covered was very important in these places, and there would be many fights on Rabbanis. Covered was important, dignity, covered, um, you know, carrying yourself the deportment, th- those were, Slabotka really was tried hard to be with it, and they felt it was necessary for the Bachram. Bachram needed to be spitzy, they needed to wear the latest style tie, the, the, the latest uh, shoes, and so on. This, in Slabotka? I think it had to do because people in yeshivas in, in, in Lithuania were so downcast, so depressed, they were nebs. So the altar felt we, we were taken from being the nebs to being the cool guys. You know, he wanted to attract not the nebs but the cool people, and and, and it worked in Slabotka. It worked, but this was a, a community and 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 very very. You know, you, you met the person. His hat was brought. I spoke to somebody. I, there was a man who had a store in Geula. His name was Greenwald. He was. He grew up. And he learned in Popa Yeshiva, which was not Hasidic in those days. It was a real Hungarian Yeshiva of that style. And he used to have a, a store, he has, his son has it, a store selling all sorts of briefcases in the middle of Gaula, all plast. 
and um, I used to smooth with him. He was with my father together in DP camps, even though he's a hungry and from Lufayne, he'd end up saying DP camps. So he told me that somebody came chust yeshiva, the puppy yeshiva was a very big yeshiva. Someone came to the Rav and said, I want to build a dormitory for the boys instead of the boys sleeping in different people's houses. They used to, they used to rent rooms. He said, Chas v'shalom. I said, why? He said, Bachrim are not mentioned. If they stay by a couple, by a family, they have to clean their shoes, brush their hats, say, good morning, missus, good evening, missus. They've prepared about Torah. They become mentioned. If I keep on a dormitory, how are they ever going to become mentioned? You know, I, I'm, I'm just going to reinforce the, all the bad. But, but there was, now, in, in the... The word Balabatish in that community was a mark. It's, when you say something about in the Lithuanian community, it, it was not a mark of honor. Balabatish means kind of very settled, bourgeois, small town. It, 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 there was those were some of the big differences between the yeshiva world and and, and this world. They, they they wanted it, respected it. It was uh, different. Um, and, and it's interesting, the Chassam Sofa is quoted by the biggest Kanoim Yerushalayim. They feel they're following some Sofa's derech, like we spoke yesterday about the Rekiv Yosef Schlesinger and, and Rav Hill Kalamaya. And Mizrahi people quote him very freely. Moser of Cook has out of Sefer on Rav Cook. You could swear he was the original Zionist. And, and, and I'm serious. And Akiv Yosef has a book out where he quotes the most vitriolic things. He's, he's quoting himself. He doesn't. There's no other references, but he he, he claims that who he hurts for someone who hurt. You know, it, it's it's a mark of a, of, 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 a, of a big person that so many people find their niche in his uh, and, and his real goddess was. He knew there are many tools and many situations, and you know, fitting the right tool to the right situation is is the key to success. And uh, that's what that was that. His his jury stayed firm until 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 uh, Hitler. Okay. Yes. Did he have any opponents, opponents? He as had. As, like, so he, he did not have even the people that opposed him in Pressburg, these places. They they couldn't be very public about it because he was so beloved and respected. At, at, it, he did get hate mail, and they have some of the hate mail that 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 he got. It especially happened when there was a machlokas about a rabbonis. And you would get, you heard one side, you hear the other side, and it's terrible. And you got that, he didn't respond. He said, you know, there was an issue about a rabbinus where he rejected some as being rough. He got hundreds of letters from respectable people. He said, I will not speak about this topic. That's what he answered, that's it. And, and, and it was hard on him, but in the, and, and at the end of the day, it's, it's you know, he, he decided this is, this is right. And, and, it's, and he's not going to discuss it with the public. Sorry, was uh, how it, yeah. Yes. Yes. Nusach Yes. It's very So, so his questions about Nusach Sfarad, where it comes from, why was it perceived to be so controversial? Nusach Sfarad came about the following way. There are Sfaradim who, in, in the, in the, the Sfaradim Davim, what they call today Edot HaMizrach. That's what was the original Sfarad. We Dav Ashkenaz, it's, it's an evolution, it's at least a thousand years where the, where the Nusach is different. It evolved differently because in different countries things crept in, crept out. You're talking about different parts of the world. And that was for a long time Sfaradim Davin Sfarad, Ashkenazim Davin Ashkenaz, and small variations of unimportant things, just how it happens. When Hasidus became, when started becoming um, popular, Davening, davening with, the, with the Arizal's Kavanis. The, the Ari is the big Mekubal who wrote what Kabbalistic thoughts a high person is supposed to have in each part of the of the davening. And he wrote that. And it was seen as part of the Rebbe's job is to think these kafanas when he's davening. The problem was that Rizal was half Sephardi and he davened the Sephard that they davened over there, that the Sephardim davened. So he didn't, so what they did was 
They copied and pasted. Anytime that Rizal says, think about this in the following words, and those words did not exist, they added those words as Hashkenaz. That's how they did it. I'm serious. Now, big people did it. It's not... It's not so, the, they said, they understand Apikabola, this must be right. The Samsofa said, had the Arizal happened to Ashkenaz, he would have fitted those components to Ashkenaz. You can't fit into Ashkenaz if you try hard enough. Um, but the, it then started becoming popular to have that type of, of, of Nusach. The, 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 the people resisted and said, well, basically, you're high-handedly changing a sitter. It's not an evolution where community got into a, a habit of saying something and it stayed that way. You're taking a pen and making changes to the sitter. And, and that's why the, that's why the, the, the Chsam Sofa was very against it. Um, he, he, he said it, but he felt that, you know, you have to, you have to understand who's on track with an occasional deviant and who's off track. And he's, you know, he felt that the Chassidim are on track. And yes, well, you know, this is far. So he was very makbid on, on Ashkenaz. In the original Hungary, there was no such thing in, in, in his, in Obelan as davening Nusach Sfarad. If you notice in the shul in Budapest, there's a sign only Ashkenaz should be davening. The poor Hasidic didn't have to struggle with those Ashkenaz. Um, the person who today said Kaddish by the caver, with using Nusach Sfarad, I, I, I don't, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't well, say anything. We didn't say Takhmun once, so I mean, uh, uh, so, so forget about that, but, 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 yeah, so, so I, I don't know, but but Al Kaponim, um, that that was the issue, and I know the first the first thing they could point a finger at Hasidim as making changes in Judaism was the Nusach. That was a clear change, and and they were upset with it. That, that was the issue. With that. What did you want to add? What farm do we have? As a sofa, we have Chedushim and Shas, we have Shailos and Shuvis, we have Drushim, we have Drushim and Chomish. He wrote also a diary called Seifa Zikaret, in the war, there was years of war, he wrote entries about different things that happened, different, um, what's the right word for it, when somebody has a feeling about something that's going to happen, premonitions that he had, dreams that he had, it's, we have it, Seifa Zikaret, and he writes, there's one frightening story there, I can share it, he writes that somebody died very young, 30-year-old person died very young in his community, and they asked him why. What, 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 he was such a from Erlach person. Samsofa said, this man was very from an Erlach, but he says, Ben Adam Lamakom, HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes his time. Ben Adam Lechavero, this person was a, a, a wealthy landowner. He would jack up rents to twice the price and drive out poor people in the middle of winter. He says when and, and he created a lot of machlokas in town. He said when it comes to Anachavera, Kachbrokh does not wait. And that was his problem. That's what Sofa writes. It's incredible. It's it's and he writes in Sefer Zikaran. It's a small it's a small booklet and we have it. Um, those are the things that every so often they, they they redo his he wrote so much material, they put it they take Likutim on the parasha and they take Likutim al Shaharuch. And you have a lot of Talmidim who wrote Hanhagas and Mesoras they have from the Chsam Sofa. Because he was held in such esteem, anything that he did or said is considered to be something to learn from, and they have a lot of that put out. So, so there's quite an, a, 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 an immense Hagos on the... He wrote Hagos on Shekharach, a lot of different a, a lot of different other stuff. Incredible volume of material. I don't know, they probably took it from from his Shekharach and put it out. I don't think he... Yeah, they were... Yeah. But uh, it's uh, and my Yaakov's father-in-law is a direct descendant, one of, of about ten thousand, I think, that are direct descendants. Almost everybody in that community is a direct descendant. Uh, but yeah, he always speaks about it. Whenever his whenever his father makes a comment, he always says it in the name of his holy grandfather. So. Uh, <laughs> What's your wife's maiden name? Friedman. 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 He's a Ben Achaben. Uh, wow. Ben Achaben. Youngest daughter of the Chassam Okay. Okay, yeah, there had to be somebody that. No, 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 no. It's not Shriver. No, there's a Tzvi Yehuda Friedman, the son of the Chassam That's the Ben Right, so right, from the song. Like a poem. So that's. That would just escape from the 
the, so the, the, the idea, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the concept that you have to form your own community, and at, 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 for instance, in Lithuania, the community was a community, and everybody was part of the Jewish community, which meant that at some point, the reform got enough traction to, to, to take everything over. And that's why, um, that's why, Shal Horst saw it as so important to make his own community. And and so, so the Eidach Reitis, the, the decision to step away from the community. And Rav Cook, Rav Cook uh, writes that it, 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 he, he was very against He said it's, it's the most terrible thing to have in Jewish history that one section of the community separates itself and says the others are no longer part of the community. History has borne out that some safer, you know, it was the only thing that kept everything going. And, you know, imagine you have a, a, a board run by mostly non-religious people who are, who are out to change the community. At some point, you must make your own, you know, little bubble. But that's a legacy of his. Um, now, he didn't actually make that separation. He died 30 years before that. But it, it is appropriate to say that, that, that it's
exactly. The, it's the only way I know. So, Samson was German. The idea of Kehilla, the strength of Kehilla, the structure, Rabbanis. What are the German? Were common, yes. Uh, okay. Good. Is there is there a, um, another Gadol who's, yeah. who's claimed the Bible to live in the Shul and not see the Shul? But Chaim. Chaim would be somebody claiming everybody would be. Was, was. Yeah. But you're right, there are not many there. So the way the